Welcome, my friends, to the Generations Broadcast. This is Kevin Swanson with Steve Vaughn. And one of the goals of this program, Steve, is to equip the man of God, the woman of God, for every good work. It seems to me, Steve, that so many Christians are babes in the woods <laughs> when it comes to the brave new world. Now, do you know what I mean by that when I say babes in the woods? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, it's, so it's they, Little Red uh... Riding Hood, you know, in the woods. Babes yeah. in the woods, Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, what big teeth you have there, Grandma? <laughs> what, what big ears you have there, Grandma? You know, Little Red Riding Hood has no idea what's going on, does she? Yeah, not really. That's why she gets eaten up. <laughs> Big time. That's, yeah. Big time. So, wow, we need Christians to think through things carefully. So, you know, what are you going to do when the world does this or that? And the world around us is doing about everything it wants to do. Pierces itself, you know, tattoos their faces. Um, are you going to tattoo your face, like your whole face? Are you going to, you know, turn yourself into looking like a tiger? Are you going to engage in cannibalism? I know Christians who engage in cannibalism, for example. Or I know Christians who have hired their wombs out as surrogate wombs. Uh, parents, uh, perhaps, creating clones of themselves in their children. Or three-parent children developed and, and, and Christians contributing to that polygamy. I, I, I would guess that Christians are going to go for all of it. That's just what they do. You know, if the world's doing it, it must be a good idea. <laughs> Whatever the brave new world comes up with, I'm on board. Yeah. Steve, it scares me. Yeah. What's happening with Christians today? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a common question that even we ask in, uh, in the speech and debate realm, especially the debate realm of just because we can, does that mean that we should? And, and that takes discernment. It takes wisdom. I mean, the, the Bible talks about that. Even in Revelation, when it talks about certain things, this takes wisdom. This calls for wisdom. Uh, there's certain things that call for endurance, certain things that call for wisdom. This calls for wisdom. We need to find what's it all about. Why are people doing this? Why did the world come up with this before the Christians did? And should we be involved? Well, here's input from the program. My family and I love your show and have been longtime listeners. My question is, how should we as Christians view the topic of embryo adoption? I've heard of Christian couples who have adopted embryos through some of the embryo donation centers and have been implanted with, carried, and given birth to these children. I have mixed feelings on the matter. On the one hand, our country has no business freezing embryos. The fertility business is big business, often leads to surplus embryos being created through the process of IVF. This is such a complex issue. I would like strong biblical principles to stay grounded on these issues. Also, how should we view life, the beginnings of life, when it's created outside of the womb, is being frozen outside of the womb? This is a huge topic. can be very confusing. Thank you, and God bless. All right. So that's it. And we've already established the point that the process of IVF is abortive. It, it, it it's, it's risks the life of many, many children, destroys children. It's evil. It's just evil. Each step of the IVF process is associated with some decreases in the number of eggs or embryos that make it to the next step. Ultimately, the chances that one egg retrieval cycle will eventually result in a live birth 
It's about 55.6% for people under 35 years of age, 40.8% for people 35 to 37, 26.8% for people 38 to 40, 12.6% for people 41 to 42, 3.9% for people 43 years and older. IVF includes typically 8 to 15 eggs. About 60% will fertilize. Some of the remaining baby embryos may be suitable for rapid freezing. This uh, recreates snowflake children. Frozen embryos can be used in subsequent cycles if the first one is not successful. To be suitable for freezing embryos must not show signs of abnormal or slow development of fragmentation. Only 40 to 50% of the embryos will survive that process. All right, so friends, this is the principle that ties into this. I believe there is a strong biblical principle that ties into this. Purposefully creating a risky environment for an unborn child is a violation of Lex Talionis even worse than what is presented in Lex Talionis because there was no premeditated intent to create the risk-filled environment for the unborn child in the story contained in Exodus 21. This is the text that forbids abortion and abortifacients in the Bible. If you're pro-life, this is your verse. Men fight, hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows. He shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband imposes on him. He shall pay as the judges determine. Uh, if the harm follows, however, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Why? Because these men unintentionally uh, created a risk-filled environment for an unborn child. So that's that's the principle. So to purposefully add risks to the life of a child seems to me as a violation of the Sixth Commandment. It may not be as egregious as slicing a ba- child to, to pieces with a knife, but it's nonetheless a serious violation. There's a difference between abortion and abortifacient increase of risks, whether it be the test tube, the womb, or the fallopian. Now, should you impregnate your unmarried daughters with as many snowflake children as possible? That's the ethical conundrum that some have raised. If you're trying to reserve, preserve the lives of these children, and you say, well, this is our ministry, we're going to run out and uh, impregnate our unmarried daughters with as many of these snowflake children as possible, is that a biblically wise biblically approved approach to uh, to the pro-life position. Well, here's a couple of problems. Number one, the problem is that this itself establishes a market for these children, increases the likelihood of more of them being created. The market is supply and demand. As you offer a demand mm-hmm. for the product, they will produce more supply for you, and that will only aggravate the problem. So you're really not helping. Does that make sense, Steve? Yes, it does in total sense. So you can't you can't be involved in a supply demand free enterprise sort of a engagement of this issue. Now there is also some question as to the unnatural imposition of a man's seed into the womb of a woman. Another man's seed in a woman could be a violation of the principle of sexual purity. I think you need to grapple with that question i haven't answered the question i'm just simply placing the question for you and then the yeah. other thing is we can wait for some nonprofit based mechanical solution to the problem and i think that's appropriate as well now you say well is that the mechanical womb i i would rather not use mechanical wombs but if they've created the child mechanically then i guess the child is going to have to wait for a mechanical womb to continue the process and so I, I would suggest some of these as answers to the ethical conundrum that we're facing. Um, so, Steve, any other thoughts on it? No, but these are, I mean, these are hard issues. In, in, um, you know, in debate, we talk about, you know, the, your, your four 
options. You know, that there's some people that will do the wrong things for the wrong reasons. They do the wrong things for the right reasons, the right things for the wrong reasons, but we want to do the right things for the right reasons. And we need to take a look at these very difficult issues. Are we trying to do the right thing for the wrong reasons, or is this the wrong thing for the right reasons? I don't know if it's necessarily that, that you could classify it as this would be doing the right thing for the right reason. Uh, because of the market, like what you said, I mean, it's, it's very difficult to, to even talk about these things because it's so emotionally charged, but we really do need to dig into these controversial issues. Well, and there's a scriptural principle that I think we need to work with as well. It comes from Deuteronomy 22 and verse 10, do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. And uh, it's, tied into do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, etc. The question, of course, has to do with, do you use something God has created for one natural purpose for some unnatural purpose? Now, that is a principle that all of the Frankensteinian Christians need to grapple with. Uh, there is much that these scientists are doing in this brave new world that is unnatural, that is not fitted for the, the, the purpose that God has established for it. Now, by the way, the, the crime of sodomy ties into this as well. Uh, so anyway, I, I just leave it there. But these are the principles that Christians need to seriously grapple with as they make the determination whether they will participate in this aspect or that aspect of a brave new world, a science that will tell you they don't fear God. The science that mostly is being created by uh, these systems today is a science that has not been raised, that has not been produced in the fear of God. And that, my friends, is the fundamental problem with our world. We'll be back with more in just a moment on the Generations Broadcast. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains. To provide quality time for you to connect with your son, can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. And we are back on the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson with you. And as we deal with these complex ethical issues, I do think we need to be careful that we're not just condemning one another for the sorts of choices that we make, but to say, okay, we may not have thus far redeemed and restored the years the locusts have eaten. What we're trying to do is see something of a redemption take place. But now God has to redeem these things. 
And so even in situations in which Christians have made the wrong decisions, from this point forward, we can still seek that God will redeem and restore the years the locusts have eaten, especially for those who were snowflake children, who were raised initially in a laboratory and then moved into a womb and then off into a family. I believe that God at any point can begin to restore the years the locusts have eaten. And yet we as Christians need to press forward to uh, to undo the things that the, the wicked system is, is producing for us uh, to bring about what I would say to be evil consequences. Uh, we want to be sure that we are stripping back the systems that are producing the problems instead of contributing to a system that keeps perpetuating the problems. Well, that's probably the best way I can put it. I have another question about a certain pro-life Catholic priest, Frank Pavone, who was defrocked for blasphemous statements on social media, quote-unquote. He used curse words in describing Joe Biden. Um, Joe Biden, a cursed loser, and he said that uh, the Democratic Party is a God-hating, America-hating and that Biden supporters can't say a cursed thing. Now, I'm not actually ex- explicitly giving the expletive used uh, in support of their loser candidate without using the word Trump. Uh, what the expletive do you have to say for yourselves, you losers? That's a Pavone put on his social media. And it seems also that uh, this has been appealed, but the Pope evidently has been involved in this decision. Uh, Newsmax journalists uh, have uh, stated that it fits with the Pope's view of the church. Francis wants to diminish the pro-life movement, reduce the status of traditional Catholics in its institutions. Okay. That's a Newsmax quote. So I guess the question is, what do you do with this? Now I have a few takes on, on this question of whether this priest should or should not have been uh, punished or, receive these sanctions for his actions. The first of which is this, as Christians, we need to avoid specific curse words in referring to certain people. That's not appropriate language. We're not to curse people. We're not to use the GD cursed word to address people. We have no right to do that. We we have no right to, to damn this person to hell or damn that person to hell. That's God's business. That's what God does, and we are not to take the place of God, who is the judge, and will determine who will go to heaven and who will go to hell in the ultimate sense. So I think what happens sometimes with activists is that we can walk over the line. Perhaps one might use the force of language to change the world, but it's not our responsibility to do that. We ought to speak the truth plainly and straightforwardly, but let's not give way to an anger and a control approach such that I am the one who will fix the problem. I'm the one who will fix the social problems, and I will do it by the force of language. Yeah, we need to um, <laughs> we need to be careful. Words mean things. Ideas have consequences, and as whenever this is one of the things I tell my students because they are being trained how to speak. Once you say something, what you say will go out to try to accomplish 
the the mission that you've sent those words out to do. That's what God said in Isaiah, I think it was 55, 10 to 12, 8 to 10, somewhere around there, that he sent his word out and his word would not return void. It would, his word would go out and accomplish what it was to do. Jesus sent out the, the disciples to uh, their mission work. They were to speak peace on the house and that peace would go and look for someone to rest on. It's the same thing with curse words. As we curse that curse is going to go out and try to accomplish what you sent it to do. We need to be really careful about how we use words and what we say. It's appropriate for John the Baptist to take an issue with the sin of Herod, uh, but it's not his obligation to curse him to hell or to wish him to burn in the flames of hell forever. Rather, we as Christians ought to desire repentance and faith, and that these folks are actually saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that should be our desire, heart desire. That's appropriate for us to, you know, want to, in a general sense, see an end to wickedness or an end to uh, a certain person's influence to bring about that which is evil. So I think that's all appropriate. We should pray in that regard. But it's not for us to assign a certain person to hell. And so that would be the issue I'd take in this situation. And I do think that there's a certain pride that you have to avoid when you're involved in activism. Now, as far as whether or not this man should have been defrocked or not, I don't know the whole story. I don't know this guy's soteriology. I haven't studied his theology except to say that the Catholic theology does not properly distinguish faith and works and justification, that to me is an issue. So, But just merely being conservative on a pro-life issue doesn't mean that you're going to be a good biblical theologian, doesn't mean you're going to be a good pastor. So, so I think we as careful Protestants need to step back and say, now wait a minute, we don't have an opinion on whether or not this guy should be a priest in the Catholic Church. We certainly have an opinion as to whether or not he should be teaching proper soteriology. We certainly have an opinion as to whether or not he should be using curse words as it applies to Joe Biden or anybody else. So so that would be my answer. Now, I have one more question that has come into our broadcast. And by the way, friends, if you have a question for our broadcast or a comment, Simply email me at host at generations.org. That's host at generations.org. Here's the question, and this follows up on a recent program that we did in relation to uh, Christians who are involved in business and whether or not we ought to uh, submit to the requirements of the Supreme Court of the United States when we're forced to rent our home out to homosexuals or when we are forced to. Uh, to hire a certain homosexual transgender to be the uh, the receptionist for our business. Now, here is the question that comes in from the listening audience today. Are Christians who rent a home or living space to unmarried couples in sin by not refusing to rent to them? Must all Christians refuse to offer any product or service to unbelievers? Where does this principle begin? Where does it end? If it's in facilitating sinful behavior, renting a room presumably for an unmarried couple to engage in fornication, then where does that principle end? Are Christians facilitating fornication by paying for a hotel room? I have a rental home. Um, The people renting it are unbelievers, possibly Buddhists and unmarried. 
please help me understand. Uh, he says he would draw the line on renting to known drug traffickers or turning the house into a brothel. Okay, so those are the sorts of questions that are questions we have to deal with as Christians as we interact with a world that is turned against God. Uh, the first answer to this question, as I see it, is the food offered to idols principle. It is true that we we should be able to buy and sell in the marketplace. And so when it comes to food offered to idols, uh, Paul says it's okay to buy the food in the shambles in the market. So that's the 1 Corinthians 5, 12, and 13 principle. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we are told that, yes, we can pick up food that was offered to idols in the shambles and perhaps half price and we get a deal on it. We go home, we eat the food, we don't worry about it. But he says, be very careful when you're in the heathen temple itself. When when you're you're close enough to the sinful activity that's occurred, such that it would be perceived that you are support of the sinful activity. And that that is the principle as I get it from First Corinthians chapter ten. It's a food offered to idols. And the question is whether the food is offered in the temple or the shambles. With the Colorado website designer case argued at the U.S. Supreme Court, it's interesting that Alliance Defending Freedom attorneys seem to want to draw the line on catering services, that Christian catering services should be willing to cater to just about any group. And I use the example of catering to a nudist camp or catering to a homosexual wedding, that apparently that is something that uh, there's no way that we can oppose that. We should continue to support homosexual weddings or nudist camps with catering businesses. Now, I, I would take the position that I do believe that every Christian should be able to answer that question for himself and not be forced against his conscience to do it. And, and I think it's every Christian has to ask himself, where do I draw this line? And he should have the freedom to decide whether or not he's going to use his resources for this or that, whether he's going to apply his time and his resources to catering this operation or that operation, he should have the right to deny business. That's my position. Uh, Steve, your thought on that? Yeah, it. I mean, there's. I don't know if there is necessarily a bright line. I would agree with you there. If you own an apartment building, you should be able to choose who rents the room. Um, if you own a hotel, um, that might be something similar. You know, but that that's for overnight. It's more of a public access thing. Um, I, I would I wouldn't mind getting back to the whole thing of you know this business has the right to refuse service to anybody for any reason, and then you know let let the market deal with you. And if you choose not to serve certain people, um, I think everybody should have the right to be able to do that. But that's I'm a little bit more um, probably a little more radical on that because that would mean then a white supremacist wouldn't want to serve you know, black people in their restaurant, but I think there's enough outrage out there that people would boycott the restaurant and they would close. So I, yeah. I don't know. It's, that's really hard. Yeah. And, and I think the private property principle does apply. Um, and here's one more consideration. Now the hotel situation is, is more of a, it's, it's more in the shambles than it is the heathen temple because there's more of a don't ask, don't tell relationship, you know, but when you're renting to a, a couple, that will be there for the next three years. I think there will be more of an understanding as to what they're doing with the place and what their relationship is. So, so, you know, you have certain situations that uh, are more critical and, and you, you understand more of what is happening in the context of that relationship 
uh, with the relationship that you have with them over the long haul versus a short-term contract like what you find with a hotel. But uh, here's one more consideration. That is that we generally want people of upstanding morality, stable people, to be good employees in our businesses or good renters, to be reliable. People shacking up with one another are usually not very stable. So the the question has to do with morality. And the question certainly has to do with whether or not uh, the moral character of the people involved will uh, serve to make for a good contract. And I think it's appropriate for renters, employers, to make judgments concerning the character or the morality of the people they're considering. The moral anarchy of the day is an indication of an unraveling of an entire socioeconomic system, meaning that uh, landlords and employers are going to be taking higher risks with those who lack character. Christians are at least concerned to rebuild some degree of stability uh, in their respective businesses. A couple other considerations. We want to dedicate our gifts, our capital, our resources to that which yields the most eternal benefit. Life is not just about making money. Life is about using our resources for an eternal benefit. And I can consider a situation in which a landlord might take the opportunity to witness to the couple and to say, hey, this isn't appropriate for you to live out of wedlock with one another. In other words, there should be something of a boldness and a willingness on the part of the landlord to interact with those who are living profligate lifestyles or those that are not Christians and share something of the gospel message with them. Meaning it's not just a morality message, but it's a, you know, we're sinners here. And this would be an example of sin, but, uh, but thankfully there's a Savior. And uh, he has come to save us from these sins. And so I, I think there are situations with landlords and others would engage in business. But in that business, they want to be open to be able to share the gospel message with them. And again, that may be something that the employment division of a particular state would take issue with. But one way or the other, I think Christians should uh, step out and uh, use their resources and their time to influence, to evangelize for the sake of the kingdom. It's not just about making money here. And it's not just about keeping the employment services of a of a nation happy. Okay, now I'm not going to make a call, as I said, for every person. Uh, there's a measure of Christian liberty involved here, and uh, I, I think we should allow for business owners to make these decisions for themselves. And uh, And as I said, there's a gray line in some of these areas. At some point, of course, there is the line. And as Christians, we need to stand and say, no, we're not going to support this particular approach or this uh, homosexual wedding or this uh, this heathen uh, service with uh, our resources. I just don't choose to do that. I think that's appropriate. Well, friends, that wraps up this edition of the Generations Broadcast. We've interacted with some tough questions today. And if you have a question for us, we certainly uh, provide some of the principles, some of the biblical verses that you need to deal with as you make these decisions. But as with all decisions, let's be sure that we acknowledge God in all our ways. Let's pray for wisdom, and He will direct our paths. This is Kevin Swanson and Steve Vaughn, and we want to invite you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.